All right. Well, I mean, listen, from the show intro, Brenda is somebody truly stepping into her superpower. I'm really happy to have Brenda on the show today. Uh, this is somebody who you're going to be excited to get to know. I've gotten to know Brenda personally over the last uh, handful of months. Uh, in the time it took her to bring her on the show, you know, we've had a deep personal conversation. Uh, I've seen her add an entirely new and exciting venture to her business interests. And today we're going to talk about, you're going to witness really kind of in real time because she's about to launch her next big venture. Uh, and that's very cool. And we get to kind of share that now with you on the show. You know, she's tenacious, determined. She didn't have as grace because I let her down in March when I was on vacation at tremendous technical difficulties. So we had to call an audible on that episode. But I'll tell you what, she's for sure, for sure, someone you should follow and learn from. And a great place to start would be her book, Two Wolves, which you can get on Amazon. Welcome to the show, Brenda Nekvadal. Really appreciate you being here. Oh my gosh. Thank you. What an intro. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. So um, so on that, let, I mean, let's jump right in and talk about the whole concept of which wolf we feed in the name of your book, Two Wolves. Yeah. So, you know, if you've been on social media for any period of time, you've probably seen the meme of the, you know, the the Cherokee uh, grandfather talking to his grandson and, you know, giving him the big lesson that, you know, you're going to be defeated in life based off of what wolf you feed, you know, and that's the conversations that you have in your head. But oddly enough, believe it or not, that is actually not a Cherokee thing. Uh, that actually, yeah, that story, that uh, analogy was actually written uh, by the Reverend. Um, oh my gosh, why is Ness living in my mind? He passed away several years ago. What is it with my head? Where is it? It's in here. It's in here and it won't come out here. I hate this. I love this about my brain. I literally do. Um, oh my gosh, help me out. Real popular reverend. Been around forever. We grew up watching them every now and again. Billy, not Billy Graham. Billy Graham. Thank you very much. Billy Graham. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you we know, go. I, I do it. Yeah. So yeah, full moon, Mercury going into, you know, retrograde, whatever. And dyslexia all mixed together right there for you. Anyway, but he, he actually created that story in 1978. And that, that is in one of his books. Um, and it's very, it's a very powerful analogy. And it just simply means that, you know, we all have these conversations in our head. Which one are you going to let dominate you? I mean, I just gave you an example of one of my perfect flaws in life, and that's I'm dyslexic, right? You literally just saw me write in action. Right. I, I stumble, I fumble, you know, my whole life I've had to beat back that conversation as to what somebody thinks about me, but ultimately at the end of the day, it's what I think about myself. And I just kind of got to this point where it's like, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is how I operate. You're either going to love me or leave me. It's as simple as that. Um, you know, if you love me and you jump into my world, it's going to, you know, it's going to be fun. It's going to be loving. You, you'll see me do all sorts of weird stuff and you'll probably get a good laugh out of it. But, you know, I'm a very good hearted individual. But if you don't want to be a part of it, that's fine too. You know, I wish you the best of luck. It's awesome. Go go out and live. Do do what you need to do. Do what you do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on that note, uh, you know, for those that have uh, dyslexia, you know, step into that superpower that it is, and it can it be is. your superpower. I've now had two guests. Uh, one I knew coming into the show, uh, Doug Stewart was uh, on our show a couple of weeks back, a few weeks back. 
Uh, he has dyslexia. And now, Brendan, you shared that. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it can be, and then in the two wolves theme, it can be a hindrance or it can be a superpower. It is a super, it is absolutely a superpower. And it's a superpower in this way is that people who are dyslexic, we all have kind of a similar trend. And that is that we're very smart generally, right? Um, we're very intuitive and we have figured out how to use our other gifts as a way to compensate for what we have to go through. I can tell you from my perspective, like I interpret information very differently and I am very prone to misunderstandings very quickly. So communication is like my second largest core value because it's so important to me that I understand what somebody's saying and it's important to me that somebody understands what I'm saying or we understand what somebody else is saying or the client or the customer whatever it is that we're working on. And if I don't get something, I'm just going to come right out and say a couple of things and be like, okay, I'm not following you or pretend like I'm stupid and dumb it down. Because yeah. there's just yeah. something that hasn't clicked for me yet. Once you get through it or you tell me something in a different way, you approach it differently, then I'll track right along with you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very interesting that you share communication as a core value. Yeah. Uh, any others? Any others that are important to you? Yes. So everything that I do, I have four that I live by and, and they have, you know, pretty lengthy definitions to it. But the first one is integrity. Um, and the reason is, is that, you know, at the end of the day, if everything falls apart, integrity is the one thing that I own outright. And if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. If I screw it up, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take ownership and say, Hey, I apologize. I messed up on that. Let me go ahead and take care of that now. Or if I can't get to something, I'm going to be the first one that jumps in and says, hey, listen, I'm in a situation where I can't do this right now, but I can get it for you done here or whatever, or let's work the problem, rework the problem, see what we can fix. I, I don't like being called out on not doing stuff. So I always make sure that I do things. And I say I'm going to do it, I do it. Um, second is communication. <clears throat> um, third is collaboration. Uh, we got to, we, no man is an island. We got to figure things out together. And then lastly is leadership. Um, you've got to put yourself in a position if, if you want to be in this world with me where you're, you're going to be led, but you're also leading at the same time. So you got to know when, when to be led and when to lead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the integrity one, I want to take a little, a little left turn on that one, add a little bit of uh, <clears throat> my color commentary to it because it's one of mine. Right, we hear we, we do what we say and then say what we do, um, yeah. or say what we'll do then do what we say. Sorry, I put that back. No, I'm, um, well, I'm dyslexic. I completely understood what you were saying. Yeah, you got it right from jump. <laughs> um, so, so we we did this thing in my retail business. Uh, I believe really in supporting the community that supports our business. Right, and part of that is giving back. Like we right. don't just strafe our community and expect them to only buy from us. And we don't give back. So we have a, we, I do another podcast show on Mondays. And we announced last month that we're doing this roundup to give back. Kind of like at the grocery store or the pharmacy. Nice. They ask you to donate your seven cents to round up to the dollar, right? Yep. It's, it's easy to say yes, because it makes perfect sense. And there's thousands of transactions a day. Because we're a smaller business, you know, I'm, we're asking to round up to the nearest five, 10, 20. Just yeah. to have impact, right? Right. So... My team was struggling because uh, customers were asking, well, which charities do you donate to? Which, you know, really is a very valid question. 
but I was hesitant to codify it because the idea being the money's collected this month, we match, and next month, the charities that come on, that, that kind of perpetuates the fund. So from an integral standpoint, I didn't want to say because I may not know. Yeah. Like, but from the customer's standpoint, they're like, well, what charities is, it, is my money going to? Because I may, not, <laughs> I may yeah. not agree with it. And I'm taking yeah. it as, well, wait a minute. You've come this far. You're at our sales desk. You've invested hundreds to thousands of dollars with us. And now we're going to question it? Yeah. It just, it was like one of those funny things, like, yeah, which moment of integrity do you put first? And finally, right. finally, we just arrived at, well, at the desk, Customers are going to donate to food pantries because right now with food costs, yeah. that's really at the forefront of a lot of people's minds. And I think no matter where you're from, what your life experience is, you can agree that's a good endeavor and get behind it. Absolutely. So then, so then our match is going to go to those charities. And from the integrity standpoint, it, it, uh, it makes a lot of sense and it all, it all adds yeah. up. Right. But, but man, that, that integrity one, I get where you're coming from. Like, yeah. please don't challenge. Yeah, don't challenge me on that one because it's like it's like right here in the heart yeah. with it. Yeah. So these are actually our core values. I, I printed them out and mounted them on these boards, and they're they're going up in the offices. So this is there's all there's one for everyone. So you know, just not even just having them is one thing, but you know, living to them in every aspect is massive. Yeah. So you said they're going up on the wall. Uh, that's for the aerial recon group, correct? Yes. Yeah, this, we'll, this is going to come down and then those are going to replace it. Yep. And we'll touch on why they're coming down, going up here in a minute. So uh, so what's the mission of Aerial Recon Group then? What are the values support? Well, values actually support uh, supporting law enforcement, public safety, and basically working with them to help them in a number of different ways become better drone pilots. And And we're not here to tell them how to do their job. We are here to perform knowledge transfer um, actually, in the next two days, I'm going to be working with the sheriff's department, uh, training them how to fly and the principles of flight, and then also working with them uh, really how to master outdoor flying and uh, prepare for their, um, you know, their Part 107 certification. Um, they're they're, they're kind of new to it. They had somebody that came in a year ago. It didn't work out. And so they reached out and said, hey, we would love to, you know, have you come in. I've already done some other work with them as well. Um and the drone thing isn't just also about teaching. As you see uh, on the screen right now, um, we actually do are working to contract with federal government and also other state agencies uh, to be able to come in and assist during a post-catastrophic uh, recovery um, mm -hmm. and being able to fly uh, and provide information back to incident command. Uh, there's a lot of different aspects of it. And then I know you want to touch on it a little bit later, but uh, the also... We're putting together a airfield um, where agencies can actually come in and fly and practice. And right now we have about 144 acres of land uh, land use in uh, Class G airspace, which means it's unrestricted. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so we said, you know, coming down, going up. Um, so prior to all this cool drone recon, you know, supporting law enforcement work that you're doing, you you are going to either continue or have maybe you can share your your HR business. Um, so so what's what's the what's the genesis there? What's happening with that? Uh, I do have uh, quite a few clients that I currently work with, and you know 
even though I'm expanding this other area, if somebody needs help, you know, with human resources, I'm more than happy to help them out. It's really kind of funny that crisis management has led me into, um, you know, a, a very lengthy career in human resources. And now it's transferring skill set into, you know, this drone operation business that I've got going on in this training. Um, you know, when, when, when it hits the fan, it's amazing. There's a lot of parallels to it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It really is. So, you know, um, you know, in the HR field, like the whole HR world is, it's changing. You know, the world is changing. Um, there's a tremendous amount of case law changing and, um, you know, it's just, it's getting more challenging for employers to work and lead and develop you know, they're people. I mean, and and it's predicated, what we see challenge is also predicated on the fact that what we see in the media as well. So, you know, we're getting more jaded as, you know, more negative news is coming out and the things that we're hearing. I mean, just no secret, yeah. this country is vastly divided in a yeah. lot of different ways. But when you shut down the social media, when you shut down the media and you just start engaging with people in general, you will learn that, you know, you just keep putting good out in the world, it's going to come back at you. Yeah. And it, yeah. yeah. It doesn't always translate into business and leading people, unfortunately. Um, because there's a lot yeah. of, there's a lot of entitlement right now. Yeah. I mean, I've seen data, uh, you know, political driven uh, polling that when you look at the the charting and the graphing of it, the, the ability for people to move off of positions on the left and the right of things, you know, both, both positions come in off the sides, they spike up and they drop. And in, and in between is this vast wasteland of inability to dialogue and have discussion and, and even try to understand another side. So you're a hundred percent right, but I see an opportunity in that vast middle. Folks like yourself, myself, our friends in Apex, our friends connected to that circle outside of it, we actively choose, like you said, to put good out there and then good comes back in. Yeah. You know, for me, that, yeah, for me, that active decision to do that about a year ago has transformed my interaction with social media. It's actually more positive than it's ever been, which sounds weird. Yeah. Based on what you just shared, but it is. I, I mean, do you have anything to share to like kind of expand on that? Um, you know, it's really interesting. And and I'm not I'm gonna make a statement here. It's not it's not intended to knock down or bash or anything, but you know, HR in general over the last several years has really been kind of looked at. I've I've watched it through my career as from becoming this like high valued partner in business to now HR is the no person like even more so than before. And, you know, a lot of industry, a lot of people who don't know or don't understand what HR is about, there's a lot of, there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that have not had the kind of Fortune 500 experience that I've had. There's a lot of entrepreneurs out there who started in their basements, in their closets. I mean, literally, I'm like in a, <laughs> I don't know, closet <laughs> in my house, right? I'm doing the yeah. exact same thing. I just happened to, to know a little bit better, but you know, the people that are, you know, they're, they're grassroots business leaders and, and they're really good at what they do, but they don't have the experience of working with somebody in human resources that is there to help them through. They kind of see like, well, you can't do that. They hear that as you're an obstacle in my way. Mm. So there's, it's really a, a thick wall to get through to say, here's what you can do. It may not be ideal, but 
listen, let's at least start here and we can start plowing a road forward. You, uh, you've gone down this new road of a new endeavor with the drone farm, uh, which sounds yeah. very cool. I mean, it is. I really wish I had you on. I really had, I wish I had a podcast episode about eight years ago when we got our boys drones for the first time. Because they like took them out, flew them, and then like hit a tree. It crashed about yeah. hundred hundred so, yards out, a hundred yards out. Oh my and gosh! Destroyed I hear it. it all the time, all the time. It's the first thing I hear. Anytime yeah. says, "Yeah, I got a drone." I went and I took it out, and I and I just like whoosh, whacked it right into something. Yeah. So tell us about the drone farm and and who it serves, how it came to be, and yes. what it's all about. So so the drone farm is actually a. It's a the um, facility where law enforcement, and public safety, government entities can actually come in and utilize uh, unrestricted airspace to test out, fly, and practice a wide variety of un- uh, drones that are used for a number of different reasons. Um, it is a prized chunk of air because, especially here where I live, our airspace is awful. We have like air- eight different airfields in this alone. So there's not a lot of spaces where drone operators can actually fly. And as I talked to uh, the contacts in hmm. Yeah, we lost uh, lost that audio again. Maybe what we need to do our producer there we go. Chris. I got you. Oh. Yeah, I don't know why it keeps it just for some reason it keeps muting and I'm not touching anything. It's very strange. But anyway, um, so the drone farm is actually a facility um, where where these uh, you know individuals, drone operators, can actually go in. It started with uh, my working with a retired Navy SEAL who purchased 55 acres, and now we've expanded it to 144 uh, land use acres. So that way, we've got different zones uh, that people utilizing uh, the airfield can actually work in. So we can actually have multiple drone operators. We're just we're just pushing their capability and their air, you know, the, the area that they can fly in in different directions. So that way we keep, um, you know, the big thing is that we have to be mindful of the national airspace and, and its safety as a part of that. Um, we are uh, building a 300 foot uh, air pad for fixed wing. Uh, and we are also adding, oh, mm-hmm, we're also adding a vertical and takeoff landing pad as well at the end of that. Um, it will have like a little staging area. So if we have, you know, Different military branches of special operations come in. They can actually go behind a closed area, set their set their stuff up so that that way people can't really see, um, you know, the technology and stuff like that. It's literally out in the middle of nowhere, um, but uh, but they'll be able to go ahead and and actually uh, you know fly in an area where they can get a little bit more air practice and you know preparation for the defense of the country. They're not blowing anything up. They're not. Anything, they still have to abide. Everybody has to abide by the FAA regulations uh, for the Part 107, which is what is required for um, unmanned, uh, unmanned small aerial vehicles like like drones. So it's pretty awesome, and we're we're opening June fifteenth. This is the fastest opening of business that I've ever done in my life. Um, like last night, I think you were mentioning that you know, like you'd like to talk about something that came up. Well, last night we were looking at something and all of a sudden we, I'm just like, oh my gosh, this isn't good. This is going to potentially hold us back. And, um, you know, it was just a misinterpretation of some information. And uh, I reached out to a contact at the FAA 
I yep. got it back. This is my team that you guys are looking at right here on the on the on the website. They're awesome. Ethan and I are actually training tomorrow, which is going to be really great. Um, all of them are retired seals in some capacity, either medically or they you know just exited, um, or they retired after full service. I'm the only one, obviously, that is not. We're spread way across the country, so we've got people uh, throughout that. If there's a, an agency that wants to train with us or wants to come up or we can go out to them. Um, and we do public service. We do, uh, you know, law enforcement. We're working with forensics as well. I uh, teach forensic technicians how to fly drones. That's very cool how drones tie into forensics. Yeah. Expl- explain how drones tie into forensics. Um, drones can actually work. Uh, to grab images and create and stitch together 2D and 3D image of the area. So it okay. gives the scene more depth and breadth to look at and a little bit more context because you do get that contouring that you get in 3D and 2D uh, imagery. And so that's, okay. how, that's how drones can actually help. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. So... You know, obviously, I can tell your passion for this. You know, I kind of came into your life, got to know you, you know, about six, seven months ago and kind of saw this this pendulum shift of excitement. Not that you're abandoning your HR clients. It's just right. you're your own business person. You have the opportunity to chase your own endeavors and dreams. You, to, if I'm kind of reading between the lines, this is exciting to you for a pretty special reason because when you were a young adult, you had a dream of being able to fly an aircraft, but weren't able to do that. So this yep. ties in directly. So why don't you share that story? Because I think it's very cool. <laughs> so I was 16 years old, 15 years old. And we had, uh, so I grew up near Pennsylvania, a very small town. And we had an air show that happened. And so we had, you know, U.S. Air. This is back in the day where it went from Allegheny to U.S. Air to U.S. Airways. And then U.S. Airways became part of American. Um, so, you know, we had all sorts of aircraft out in the field. We had a Galaxy G5 out there, and that was a relatively new aircraft uh, for the Air Force. And uh, this the big, the big, big, big one where the nose comes up and you can shove like, you know, eight uh, Greyhound buses into it. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely massive, right? And, um, you know, I've always been fascinated with airplanes. I'd love to fly. Absolutely love it. And um, I've flown all over the world. You know, I'm, I'm fortunate to have already been to 22 countries by the time I was 22 years old. And so, um, yeah, just absolutely love it. And so uh, we, were, we got a chance to see this thing leave. And I mean, you're talking about a runway that is, supports nothing more than like a DC-9 or an MD-80. These are like old aircraft. So I'll, I'll put it into different contexts. It's like, you know, the smallest Boeing 737, <laughs> you know, or the ER, the ER, you know, 145s, right? I mean, this is not a very big airport at all. Anyway, that thing took off and literally a whoop, and it just shot right up. And I went, I want to do that. That's what I want to do. That was amazing. So um, I started talking to a Navy recruiter to be able to go in and enter the Navy to fly. And he put his fingers on my glasses and he said, nope can't fly and then he says you have corrected vision and back in the 80s you could do that right um so you know i had ambitions you know growing up that you know i wanted to fly air force one i wanted to fly the president's jet i mean that yeah. was that you know yeah absolutely. and uh, 
yeah, I mean, you know, I grew up watching President, you know, originally it was the seven, the 727. This is where I geek out. 727, then it progressed up into the 747 as we know it today uh, for the two aircrafts and then the doomsday aircraft. But um, so, yeah, so I always wanted to do that. I didn't want to be like the first woman to do it. I just wanted to do it. And so uh, that didn't happen. And, you know, flying was never not an option for me. It just wasn't the right time. And then when this this industry opportunity came up and I saw that there's a lot of blue ocean out here for what we're doing and mm. we've got the right people in place to do it with the right mindset and the information. Um, yeah, it was awesome. So in some ways I kind of get to play pilot. I'm just not sitting in a plane. Right. So Dallas <laughs> or wherever right. else to travel. Or the 22, 23, you know, what's yeah. your country count up to now? Certainly more than 22. No, actually, 22. China was the last one. I went to okay. China in 1992. Okay. Before wow. what we know it today. Yeah, it was considered red China back then. It was communist China. It still is communist China today. Yeah, but, I mean, that's um, that's only three years removed from Tiananmen Square. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I went to Tiananmen Square. And I, I actually had a chance to saw it. And it would kind of joke because it was like we were pretty convinced we were the only white people <laughs> in the country at the time. Wow. It's just, just not... You know, they just don't, they just didn't let people in. And so we yeah. went in, part of my dad, uh, he's a hospital administrator, and he formed this sister city program. So that was the last country. And um, now I'm itching to go on a, a, just put me on a cruise ship and let me enjoy some downtime. I don't care what island we land on. <laughs> right, right. I just so, want to go. <laughs> yeah. So you, you, you brought up your father uh, as a hospital administrator. You know, you're from, from the book, Two Wolves. Again, fantastic book. Thank right you. here, you can get it on Amazon. You, know, you touch on this in the book. Your father is a hospital administrator, Erie, PA. I think a lot of people know Erie, but it is it is a smaller town, right? It's not a it's not a Philadelphia, it's not a Pittsburgh. Oh no, not at um, all. And uh, you know, so your dad was a high profile guy, and there was a lot of perception there, positive, negative, all points in between. You know, how did you take? you know, the perceptions put upon you and your family and how, how did you kind of take what you learned from those years? Because as business owners, we get a lot of that perception, a lot of assumption, a lot of judgment thrown down on us. How is, how are those lessons that you might've learned in childhood? How did, have you brought them forth uh, as a business owner? Well, you know, it's interesting because when I was a kid, um, you know, nobody knew how to handle that. I mean, right. there's, there's no guidebook for something like that. Um, I think we're more used to it now as a society because we have social media. And, you know, there's a ton of judgment on social media. But back then, you know, when you would pick, you know, I was like 13 years old and picking up the phone and people who were aggravated about whatever they thought was going on at the hospital or whatever the paper was writing or, or whatnot, because let's face it, you know, News isn't always necessarily kind, um, and to be and to hear somebody saying that they're going to kick your dad's ass or they're mm. you know you're getting a death threat, and then nobody takes it seriously in your family. Um, right. You yeah, I mean that's just that's a lot of beatdown. There's a lot of beatdown for many many years, and it wasn't easy. It was actually really awful. Um, I wouldn't say that I would voluntarily go back and do it again if I was asked to, but 
there's a certain level of gratitude in being able to be on the other side of that. It doesn't mean that you don't you don't think about it every now and again. It doesn't mean that when certain situations come up, your subconscious gets activated because it's programming, you know? Right. We talk right. about gaslighting, right? Well, this is programming, you know? So I'm programmed to respond in certain situations in the way that I do when it has nothing to do with judgment and it's like high profile, you know, crisis, somebody's getting hurt, this car accident, somebody just had a heart attack, something like that. The harder the situation, the cleverer I am, like all the way mm-hmm. through. I just know how to operate because I'm I'm trained. When it comes to, I made a mistake or um, somebody's casting uh, like immediate judgment on me to where I'm threatened in some way, like my reputation is threatened or any of my core values are threatened. I'm programmed a certain way. I don't do very well on the inside. You would never know it on the outside. You can tell that I'm concerned about something. Right. But that's a lot of management to actually see the trees through the forest. And that's taken it's taken a long time to figure out how to do that because it was the it was the judgment as a consequence and the judgment and the repercussions of judgment that is what I was surrounded with. Yeah. Um yeah, and it is just so being judged, I respond either a couple ways. If I don't know you, I really don't care. If it's somebody right. that I'm close to or somebody that I've known for many years and all of a sudden judgment comes up, I don't have the same reaction. It's a completely different internal mechanism that gets sounded off and it it takes a lot of energy to work through so it doesn't own me. Right, right. You know, you you said something uh, maybe about a minute ago about you wouldn't you wouldn't go necessarily go back and do it again but you have gratitude for those moments. Yeah. And it, it kind of reminds me of, it's a statement I've heard, uh, you know, around our circles of, it doesn't happen to us, it happens for us. Yeah. Right? So would you say that was the situation? Like, do you, yeah. do you look at it that way now? Absolutely. And you know, it's easier to look at that when you're at peace in that manner. It's hard to keep yeah. that in mind when you're in conflict with yourself over right. it. Or when you're living it, you know, I'm, you know, Brandon Brittingham has been on your show. He posted mm-hmm. in our group uh, today that you are going to have, you know, how successful you're going to be in life and in business is all based off of how much pain you're capable of taking. Mm. And, and there's a lot of pain in life. Yeah. That man is so well, I haven't seen it yet. I haven't been in, I haven't oh. been in yet today. But. He is, such, he's such a profound thinker when it comes to that. I mean, he's, he's a, He's brilliant at what he says. Absolutely brilliant. Um, You know, I will never forget that phrase that he said, because that is absolutely true. How successful you are in life and business is is all predicated and all dependent upon how much pain you are capable of maintaining it. And those that aren't able to stand up to it or don't think that they can or or whatever, you know, they're just going to, they're going to find a level of comfort and they're going to stay there. Yep. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that either. Yeah. yeah. But if you really want to be successful in anything, you're going to have to take it out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And I think through, you know, we, we, we have dropped the word entitlement a couple times in this episode that those two statements, you know, having entitlement and being able to accept pain for success, they, they directly butt heads, right? Oh, yeah. And so far. 
Yeah, I think from through a spiritual lens, I think the way I look at things is when we're tested, to me, we're being tested because we've shown we've got the strength to be tested. We've got the shoulders, the backbone to carry the load. And part of that is there will be light to shine on the other side of that test. Right? Yep. So, you know, if you're listening to this, this is pretty, you know, we went a little deep here. It's more than drones and HR. I know, right? This this is why I love doing the show like this because we kind of, we kind of bounce around our guests and the things they're involved in. And we always kind of touch on this kind of cool stuff. But yeah, I mean, what Brenda said, she was grateful for that struck because it yeah. framed and built the foundation of her success today. And, and um, I still go through it. I mean, I'm 50 years old. You would think that 50 years old, I wouldn't be going through this. But I go through it once a week. You know, right. I mean, at least once a week. But here's the difference is that Quitting is not an option for me. It, it never has been, right? Right. Look how many years it took for me to to be able to fly. Yeah. Do the math. Six. You may have to take a shoe off or two, but you can 16. definitely do it. Um, See, I, I, I've known I've known long enough. I'm not going to blurt out the number. I know it, but <laughs> I, I, know, I know around ladies, you don't talk about age too much. Okay, um, listen, I let the cat out of the bag already. It's all good, <laughs> <laughs> but. But I mean, but that's the reality of it. And it's like, we are all tested. Every single one of us are tested. And we're going to do one of two things. We're either going to step up or we're going to step out. And Mm -hmm. whatever you decide to do in your life is fine. If you you want to step out and say, hey, listen, you know, this entrepreneur thing is not for me. Or, you know, this is like way more than I feel comfortable with because my priorities are different. And I want to spend more time with my family. You know, look, one of my dad's, Former, oh my gosh, I, it's, I haven't thought about this in years. One of my dad's former uh, when, uh, chiefs on one of the chiefs of the company, I won't say which one it was, just in case he was listening. But he said, he decided, he made the decision that he did not want to go any higher than what he was in the organization. He did not want to put his name in the hat as a successor, as a, as a CEO, of which he would have been really great at. Um, because, and he made it very clearly, he said, because I want to spend time with my family. And right. he knew taking that step, he was tested, right? And he knew right. taking that step would have taken away from his kids. And and a lot of it is because he saw what happened, you know, with our father, with my dad. And not mm. that it, it is what it is. You know, it's just, right. I'm not going to label it as good or bad, but that's just what it is. He recognized that that's not what I want. He was tested yeah. and went, no, this is not where my priorities lie. If, right. if you want to, you know sit around watch TV and play video games with your kids every day after school for, you know, six hours after they get their homework done. That's great. You're not going to be a successful entrepreneur in the beginning and still have that. That's fact and reality. Yeah. I mean, choices are, I mean, good on, good on that individual for making the conscious choice of saying, you know what, this promotion does carry great responsibility. And because of that reason, my uh, purpose or my desire for my family trumps that, and I can't do both. Yeah. So in a way, that was great. Um, but yeah, you, I love what you said. Step up or step out. I mean, you have to. You can't. You can't play video games for six hours and expect to be on the level of success of you or I or, or anyone else that's yeah. not playing video games for six hours. Right. Unless you're uh, a video game writer, <laughs> then there you go. 
But right. you know, right. that's not us. And you know, and and if you think you can do that, that's great. But there are other things that are going to start degrading too. Your health is going to fall the crap. Your relationships are going to fall the crap. Your sense of security is going to go to the wayside, even though you may have a ton of money because human beings aren't meant to be alone. And that's a very isolating type of activity. You know, there's, there's going to be give and take. And if you, if you break down into like, you look at the success, right? Um, you're not going to be able to balance everything equally. So figure out what's important to you and what you're willing to release or let go. Um, but you're not going to be successful at balancing everything. And and if you'll probably die trying. <laughs> That's yeah. the reality. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had a guest on the show that made a great analogy to trying to always seek balance because when things are balanced, the, 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 the needle reads zero. You know, and I think that's a great way to look at trying to chase balance, right? Yeah. I think when you have your values aligned, you're clear on your mission, you're clear on what's most important to you. Balance just kind of comes along and fits. You don't chase it anymore. I think people who chase balance uh, don't have the ladder in order. They don't have their their values and their mission. They're not clear on what their purpose is. So yeah. balance, balance kind of replaces that like, Busy work, thinking you're being productive. It's it's balances is made up of uh, uh, what's it just now? It just went right off the top of my head, but uh, it's catchy. you know, yeah, busy <laughs> like balances is, is filled with those busy behaviors, avoidance yeah. behaviors. Yeah, you know, I, I got to have a clean office before I can sit down and write the blog post. Yeah, right? or I have to plan everything out to the nth detail. It's like then you're missing the world going by. You right. know, I I I worked with a woman. And I tried to get her. She was so much of a planner that she literally, I kid you not, she literally planned herself out of business because she mm. wasn't actively out there building leads, closing sales, bringing money in. She just kept planning, 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 planning. There was never any execution on her part. And she was like gobsmacked when she when she told me, she's like, I, she's like, I'm closing down. I don't have any clients. And I said, that's because you're not taking action. She's like, well, I'm doing action every day. I said, no, you're just constantly writing stuff down in the calendar. You're, right. you're not you're not engaging your audience. You're not engaging your market, and you're not bringing in revenue. Yeah. That's how you stay alive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have to. Um, sometimes you just have to start. The hardest part is that start. But starting doesn't mean perfection. Starting right. often means action. Yeah, with an eye on what that goal is. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you've started the drone farm, you've had some struggles, you know, I mean, for me, like, you know, we talk about purpose, things we're willing to accept and not accept. Like for me, my retail thing, I've been told time and again by very smart people that have brought franchises to market and they're like, you have something that can be franchised. For me, I don't want it. I do not want another alphabet governmental agency in my life. It's just not my thing. So. The plan is more licensing, right? Because that is not quite, it doesn't have the oversight, doesn't have the hurdles, doesn't have the I's yeah. to dot and the T's to cross. Yeah. Uh, so you've got the drone farm started. What, so like, if we can't fly the Galaxy 5, 
what's the, like what's that Galaxy Five equivalent through the drone farm, or maybe it's a next thing. Oh, honestly, then my next Galaxy Five, honestly, is getting the drone business stable um, to where I can pull in some more leadership and I can. And, and the leadership that I want to pull in is, you know, another veteran, is another SEAL. Um, everything that I do. So I got my core values, but a lot of people don't know what my purpose is. And so my purpose, it has been this way for the last six years. And everything that I do, I keep in mind, can I help another, can I help a Navy SEAL? Cause that's, that's where my heart is. Can I help a Navy SEAL? Can I put money in their pocket or, is there something that we can do to give them or help them with them some form of employment, either help them find it or build it or whatever. So then that way it expands and they're able to take care of their family post-service. Right. And so for me, it's right now just keeping my eyes open for the one team guy that can come in and help run this and I can have more of a personal life. Right. And that that would be spending time with, you know, my friend or, uh, you know, playing with the dogs together or, or, you know, doing whatever we do together when we, when we connect. Right. And, yep. and that's important to me. And it's really interesting is that, you know, as I build this, I build time, you know, I build practices in place. So that way, when he and I are in the situation where we can be together, then I don't have to worry about carving anything out because, it, I'm already able to take a step back and say, this isn't going to be fine for the next five hours without me. I'm good. Right. Yeah, and then I, yeah. can, then I can build that relationship with him. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, being present with somebody is not, I, I here's my phone. It, being present with somebody is not. Yeah. I don't, no. I don't even want my phone near me. The only time my phone is near, I'm about ready to sneeze, sorry, is when we're sitting out on the front porch, hanging out, drinking a bourbon or whiskey or whatever we're drinking. And literally my iPhone, my iPod from my phone is piped through the Bluetooth on the speaker. That's right. it. I don't look at yep. anything else. That thing is yep. face down. If I don't like the song, I shake it and moves to the next one. <laughs> yep. I don't check anything. Yeah, so, yeah that's yeah. very funny. I do that at the campsite. Plug it in. Uh, charge it up, sets up the kitchen at the the outdoor kitchen in the corner of the site, and got that done. Uh, hooked up on the flip flip five speaker, I think it's called, and yeah, play some tunes. Uh, just total side note because I'm a bourbon geek myself. What's your favorite bourbon? Oh, I'm a gentleman Jack drinker. I've been a Jack oh, nice. Daniels drinker my whole life. That sounds yep. terrible, but I have I love gentleman Jack. Yep, I've got a bottle of that about a third of the way to go yet up at the site. Oh, it's and. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. We actually, a uh, little bit of trivia knowledge. There's a local distillery called Stolen Wolf that mm -hmm. uh, the current owners, one of the current owners is descended from the Jack Daniels family. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So Very cool. they do some really cool whiskeys and bourbons and ryes and uh, they kind of branch out a bunch of different different things. It's really, really smooth, really great. So awesome. I think. I kind of like them all. Brown liquor is just good for me. So uh, I kind of kind of just run around in circles trying a little bit of this, a little bit of that. 
Like, see you at so, a restaurant. What would, you, what would you like, sir? Just oh, grab liquor, whatever you got. Yeah, whatever. Oh. Yeah, brown liquor. Let's go. <laughs> um, so as we as we approach the top of the hour, obviously the, the seals are important. Navy seals are important to you, helping them. It's, it's really cool to hear how you're doing that. One of the charities you love to support is the Honor Foundation. Yeah. One of the big ticket principles that I espouse the folks that I work with uh, is, you know, giving back to those who support you. Those who can. To those who think need the help. So, what's what's the connection to the Honor Foundation? What do they do, and why do you love them? So, I started doing it. Sorry, six years ago. Give it time in. I would you. He's doing his job. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's what he did. That's why I hired him. He's doing his job. Um, so, I started doing this about six years ago when I transitioned uh, out of when I left ADP and I. Uh, joined in as the director of human resources for the base agency here and and um, with the honor foundation um i was one of the very first coaches on the east coast when we opened up the east coast campus and uh and it was just absolutely amazing and Sus, they're a different breed and if people are like yeah, yeah seals are a different breed they're really badass it was like well yeah that is too bad. they're gentlemen um they're very intelligent although they'll play it down um, they're hilarious. They they live and die by an ethos, unlike any other group of people that I've ever known in my life. And right. um, yeah, I just the first class, I was literally on a high the entire time because I just could not believe the caliber of human being that I was being surrounded with. And we had we had 16 people at the time and one in our very first class on the east coast um and it was just absolutely amazing as you can see this is the staff they're incredible it's expanded when i first started it was only just a handful of people and look how many you know that they've they've grown into and so i get an opportunity to coach um i i, I coach in the spring cohort and the fall cohort but i do take a break during the summer and uh, there you go. There's some of our graduating classmates right there, our fellow graduate. Um, the CEO, uh, Matt Stevens, he is, yeah, that was, there we go, the last class. Um, Very Matt, cool. He, um, you know, he was in our, in our first class on the East Coast. And so now he's the CEO. Um, you know, other, other, other groups have formed as a, as a result of the influence of the Honor Foundation as well. Like Elite Meet came out of, uh, the Honor Foundation. I was there uh, working. Um, oh, neat. Gentleman that started that. Yeah. And his idea, I mean, just I remember the day that he presented it. You know, he and I spent a lot of time talking about it. Uh, you know, John Allen went off and, you know, he designed Delete Me and that has spun off. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of room in the sandbox in not only Naval Special Warfare, but uh, in Spec Ops. And in just the veteran community that anybody can get involved. I mean, if you're a right. want to hire good people, start tapping into the veteran community because you're going to find the talent in there. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I love all you're doing, Brenda. It's so, it's like an honor to get to, to have gotten to know you and continue to get to know you. Um, I'm really excited to see where you take the drone farm. I'm happy that Thank that you. gets to be a part of a childhood dream, maybe not in the full, but you'll, you'll, you're going to live it to the fullest, I'm sure. So, uh, very cool to have you on the show. Thanks, you can get sir. Brenda's book, uh, Two Wolves, on Amazon. All right, just look it up, Two Wolves. You'll see it. 
Great cover. Smoke. I love it. There's also a really great song by Cody Jink called Two Wolf or The Wolf I Feed. All in the same theme. So you can have that in the back, bourbon at your side, and read the book and you get the you get the full experience. Just uh, how much planes go by. <laughs> that's right. You'll just immerse yourself in the audience right. in, in all the senses of it all. Uh so yeah, really suggest you get the book. Brenda, this has been a joy. Uh, I know we had a couple little glitches, but I hope everybody watching, listening, uh, found their way through because there was a lot of uh, Brenda. We'll catch up with you next time in Texas, and uh, yes. thanks again for being on the show. Really appreciate you, and we'll see you next time on the Big Ten Network. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Big Ticket Life. You've heard from another amazing guest living their own big ticket life, and now it's time to live yours. First, I'd love for you to take me up on my free gift to you. Find your gift at gift.bigticketlife.live. That's gift.bigticketlife.live. See, all your life you've been told what is and what is impossible by the loudest voices from the cheapest seats. It's time to finally do life and business on your terms. Sure, you've heard similar things, but without clarity on what can be done, It's easy to have your customers, employees, maybe even partners, and your spouse keep you from truly living a big ticket life. My big ticket methods shift you into that investor seat, in your business, away from commodity and away from competition, into a market of one, so you can finally live your own big ticket life. So my gift to you is for you to book your discovery call today, where we'll uncover first the Chivo behaviors, those chief everything officer behaviors, that hold you back and why moving into the investor seat in your own business is critical. Two, we'll uncover the premium position that's up for grabs right now in your market that you're missing out on. And three, which big ticket methodologies are just waiting to be dropped into your business to explode your sales and profits. So again, thanks for listening to this episode. I'd love for you to take action right now. Accept this gift, book your call, go to gift.thebigticketlife.live. Again, that's gift.thebigticketlife.live.